0: Uh, Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning on behalf of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that old serpent, the devil, would still like to sweep them from the face of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would continue to protect them as the apple of your eye. I pray most of all that many of them would recognize your Son, Jesus, as their Messiah and become your children through faith in Him. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, Pray that Your Holy Spirit might fill my heart and guide my words, and I pray for each of my brothers and sisters and Jesus Christ who are gathered here and uh, who can hear my voice through the live stream. Lord, I pray that we might receive Your Word and become more like Your Son, Jesus Christ, as a result. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today I'd like to talk a little bit about the beginning of the church. And uh, every story needs to have a beginning. The problem with some stories is knowing where to begin. And uh, in this particular case, I would like to begin with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As he hung on the cross, shedding his blood for us, he purchased us as a precious possession for God. And then on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, and he began to instruct his disciples to prepare them for what was going to come next. And for 40 days, he spent time with his disciples, teaching them so that they'd be ready for what was to come. And at the end of those 40 days, just before he ascended into heaven, he told them to go to Jerusalem and there to wait for the promise of the Father. And so Jesus ascended into heaven in their sight and uh, was taken from their sight. And in obedience, they went to Jerusalem and they gathered there with all the people who were following Jesus Christ at that time, and they were 120 of them. And so they waited and they prayed and they prayed and they waited and they waited and they prayed. And a day passed and a second day and a third day and they continued to wait and to pray and a fourth day and a fifth day And they prayed and they waited, and a sixth day, and a seventh day, and they prayed, and they waited, and an eighth day, and the ninth day, they continued to wait, and they continued to pray, and on the ninth day, as they were praying, suddenly this huge noise filled the place where they were gathered. It was like a mighty rushing wind. It was like a hurricane. It was like a tornado. It was just roaring through the room. And these flames came down out of heaven and broke up into individual tongues of flame and settled on the heads of each of the 120 believers who were gathered in that room. And suddenly, they began to speak in foreign languages that they had never learned And so this guy's speaking Chinese and that guy is speaking Japanese and this guy is speaking Parthian and that guy is speaking Cappadocian and they're speaking in all these languages that they've never heard or never learned. Well, never heard many of them as well. So they're there speaking in these languages and a crowd starts to gather because everybody hears all this hubbub. And this is at the Feast of Pentecost. And there are Jews in Jerusalem that are there from all over the Roman Empire and beyond. And many of these Jews do not have Hebrew as their mother tongue. They have uh, Persian as their mother tongue, or they have Latin as their mother tongue, or, or they have uh, Bithynian as their mother tongue. And they, they speak all these languages from around the Roman Empire and beyond And they hear these 120 people and they say, hey, he's speaking in my mother tongue. Hey, she's speaking in my mother tongue. And so they hear these people speaking these languages and they say, what on earth is going on here? And Peter then stands up and and he begins to preach the good news about Jesus Christ. And he tells them how Jesus was crucified so that we could have uh, so that we could be redeemed from our sins, and how God had raised him from the dead on the third day, and how he has now sent his Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of those who follow him. And that was the very first day that the church became the church. Because the church is followers of Jesus Christ. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we become indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And that was the day when followers of Jesus Christ began to be indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And I'd like to look at a number of things today that characterized the church the very first day the church became the church. And so if you would like to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, And in Acts chapter 2, I would like to read verses 41 to 47. And so Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand as I read God's word in your hearing. It says, Then those who gladly received his word Peter's word, as he was preaching the gospel, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You may be seated. Well, the very first thing the church did on the first day that they became the church is recorded in verse 41, the first part of that verse. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so the first thing the church did when they became a church is that those who came to faith in Jesus Christ we're baptized. Now, it's possible that we have some people here this morning who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. And what I am about to say uh, doesn't apply to you. you. If you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, you do not need baptism. You need Jesus. Uh, he can save you, uh, baptism cannot. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, Lord willing, at the end of the message. But if you have received God's word and you have not been baptized, then you should be baptized. The Greek word baptizo means to be immersed under a liquid. And those who place their faith in Jesus Christ on this first day that the church was the church... They were immersed underwater. And uh, this was a picture of their union with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So as they were standing in the water, they were proclaiming that when Jesus died, I died with him because I'm united with him by faith. That all my sins were nailed to the cross with him. And they were atoned for there. And when the believer then is placed under the water, it's a picture that when Jesus was buried, I was buried with him. And when the believer comes up out of the water, it's a picture that when Jesus rose from the dead, I was raised with him. I have received a new life from God. I am no longer um, under my sins as I was before, but I am no longer a sinner. I am now a saint, not because of anything that I have done, but because I'm united with him. And he is holy, and he has made me holy. And so, people should then who have come to faith in Jesus Christ should be baptized as a picture that they're dead to their old life and they're alive to a new life in Christ. Now we may have some people here this morning or listening to me online who are followers of Jesus Christ but you have never followed the Lord in baptism. Uh, Perhaps uh, you were baptized before you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so then that act of baptism um, was saying, I am united with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and you were not united with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection because you had not yet placed your faith in him. And if that is true of you, if, if you were baptized before you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you should, like the believers here in the book of Acts, be baptized as a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's possible that uh, you were uh, baptized by sprinkling or having water poured over you. But uh, you see, baptism is a picture of our union with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And sprinkling and pouring are not an accurate picture of our union with him in death, burial, and resurrection. And so if you have not yet pictured your union with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection through a believer's baptism by immersion, then you should do that. And it's possible that some of uh, you here today might have faith in Jesus Christ, but you've just never gotten around yet to being baptized. And if any of these descriptions describe you, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have not yet followed him in baptism, and you would like to do that, then I would invite you to just feel free to contact the church office, and we'd be happy to schedule a time so that you can then show your union with Jesus Christ in that way. Now, the second thing that they did on the very first day of the church being the church is described in verse 42, the beginning of that verse. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And uh, doctrine is a big word for teaching. They continued in the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles because the apostles had been chosen by Jesus to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection and then to be his authorized representatives in proclaiming his truth to his church. And so the church then was devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They were gathering to hear what the apostles had to say about what Jesus had taught them, about what Jesus wanted the church to know. And I'm happy to say that the apostles' teaching has not been lost over time. God has preserved it for us, He inspired the apostles and their representatives to sit down and write their teaching down for us in black and white. And we have it preserved for us in the New Testament just as we have the uh, revelation that God gave through the Old Testament prophets preserved for us in the Old Testament. And so God has preserved his word for us and that is why the teaching of the Bible is so central to our gathering um, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. On the very first day of the church, the church began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and we continue to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching today. Third thing they did on the very first day of the church being the church is recorded also in verse 42... It says, and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship. Greek word koinonia. And fellowship, that's kind of a a church word. We don't usually use it in many contexts outside of the church. And uh, the word koinonia wasn't really a church word. It was kind of a common word. It meant sharing. And so they devoted themselves to sharing. And one of the major things that they shared with each other was their time. And um, this is important. It's important for us to share our time with each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ because from eternity past, God has always existed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those three persons were always in fellowship with each other. They always shared their time and their lives together. Um, I guess uh, uh, the way a young person might say it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit always hung out together throughout all of eternity past. And so when God decided to share Existence, he decided to share his character of fellowship, of sharing time together with his creation. And so, as he made man in his own image, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And he made mankind to enjoy fellowship, to share time with each other and with him. And so, we are made to share our time together, especially as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so, one practical tip here, technology cannot replace time face-to-face with brothers and and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so, since the invention of the smartphone, there has been a dramatic increase in depression. And this is not a coincidence. It's an outcome of the fact that people are counting on their phones to give them something that they cannot get through their phone. That they need face-to-face time with followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a, I'm a grandfather, and uh, I know that Seeing uh, my grandchildren on Facebook, for example, is better than not seeing them at all. And so um, we're thankful for the help that substitutes give us when we cannot be face-to-face. But I would not be satisfied to just spend time with my grandchildren on Facebook unless for some reason I absolutely could not spend time with them face-to-face in any other way. Um, or to have a chat with them, or to call them on the telephone, or to write them a letter. All of these things are good, but they are not a substitute for spending time with other people face-to-face. And so it's fine to have a smartphone. I'm not telling you it's a sin to have a smartphone or anything silly like that. Uh, I have one, and I love all the things it can do. I especially like whenever I have a question, I can quick find an answer to it. Might not be a right answer, but at least I can find an answer. And uh, so it's fine to have a smartphone. Don't let it stop you from spending time with other Christians face to face. It's fine to listen to sermons on the radio. It's great to watch a live stream of a message. Uh, If you're watching the live stream today, if you can't be here with us in person, you're away on vacation, you're sick. Um, there's some other factor that keeps you from being here in person, it's fine to utilize those tools. Uh, It's fine to use video chat, but those things are not a substitute for gathering with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ face to face. Now another thing that the early church shared on the very first day that they were the church is they shared the resources. And we saw this in verses 45 and 46. It says they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Uh, Oh, 44 and 45 rather. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. By the way, they had all things in common. Uh, It said they shared all things. There's your word koinonia again. Uh, The word fellowship that we saw up in verse 42. And you'll notice it doesn't say that they were required to share with each other. It doesn't say even that they were expected to share with each other. It just says that they did share with each other. They were motivated by love for God and by love for each other. And so the sharing of their resources as they had opportunity uh, was a natural outflow of that love. And that also is something that reflects God's eternal character. Now, God is a giving God. And so we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That uh, the God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they were willing to sacrifice for a time while Jesus was on the cross the eternal fellowship that they had always enjoyed so that they could redeem us, so that we could share in eternal fellowship with them, in eternal sharing. And that that sharing brings God joy. And so it says of Jesus that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That giving gave him joy. It says in Scripture that it's better to give than to receive. And that's really true, that as we give, as we share, as we are generous with each other, it gives us a joy that we cannot experience just as we get. And so God invites us then to share in his joy, to share in his character by being generous with one another as we have opportunity. Well, a fourth thing that the early church began to do the very first day that they became the church is also in verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread involves two things, and one of those things is eating with each other. And eating with each other is a significant thing because it's an important way of sharing our lives together. And eating together is so powerful that uh, even researchers that have no idea about God, have no idea about what the Bible says, have noticed how powerful it is. For example... They have noticed in repeated studies that families who eat dinner together average better health, less obesity, their children have better academic performance, they have lower rates of depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, they have lower rates of teen pregnancy, and they have higher rates of resilience, all just by eating dinner together as a family. And just as physical and emotional benefits come from eating dinner together as a family, so spiritual benefits come as we as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ eat together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're strengthened in our love for each other and our love for the Lord. Now you may remember that we're talking about uh, this is the first day of the church being the church. They had 120 people and 3,000 have been added to their number. And so I'm not saying that uh, uh, John Doe, one of the early Christians, had all 3,119 other Christians to his house for dinner all in one day. I'm not saying that even over the course of the next 40 years, John Doe had all 3,119 of those Christians over to his house for dinner. In fact, it was a moving target because we saw that God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. So uh, people were being added to the church faster than John Doe could possibly invite them over to dinner. So I'm not saying that the whole church has to eat together. But I'm saying that we, as the church, we need to eat together. And so, you know, maybe three or four or five families over here eat together sometimes, and that family eats with that family, and this family eats with that family, and they have a regular practice of gathering with other believers and eating with them And so I encourage you to seek opportunities to eat with other people, with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, another aspect of breaking bread was the Lord's Supper. By the way, next Sunday you have an opportunity to meet together. Missions conference, we're having lunch down in the gym. You just stay after Sunday school, go down to the gym, and you can eat together. There, little little opportunity there for you. So... Another aspect of breaking bread is the Lord's Supper. During the Lord's Supper, the early Christians would eat bread and drink of the fruit of the vine, and the bread was a picture of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for them on the cross, and the blood was a picture, uh, the fruit of the vine was a picture of the blood that Jesus Christ had shed there on the cross for them, and the Lord's Supper was, Served to remind them of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And so it's important for us as a church family to regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The fifth thing that the church did on the very first day that they became the church is recorded for us also in verse 42. A lot of time here in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so prayer is important because we need God. And when we pray, we are acknowledging who God is, that he is the source of, of everything we need he is the one in whom we live and move and have our being and so we're acknowledging who he is we're acknowledging our dependence upon him and we're coming to him then for those things that we need now the wonderful thing about prayer is as we go to God in prayer we don't have to convince him to listen to us It's not like God is busy and distracted and disinterested and and we're uh, like a a little two-year-old trying to catch his mom's attention when she's trying to prepare dinner or something like that. Um, It's God is ready, willing, and able to hear us as we come to him in prayer. He is already waiting for us to come to him and acknowledge our need and to receive the things that we need. And so if prayer is something new for you, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you say, yeah, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not much of a prayer. I, I you know, uh, never really grew up praying very much, and, and I've, I've never really developed a habit since then, and, and I don't really know what to do. and um, Just talk to God like you would talk to anybody else. Now, a little tangent here, one difficulty with that is people are starting to forget how to talk to other people. Um, And so um, you have families uh, sitting in the living room together, texting each other. Um, uh, Young people that, uh, you know, are communicating with each other uh, via smartphone, but they can't talk face to face with each other. And so, uh, I already talked about the importance of actually doing that—talk uh, to each other. Uh, but beyond that, once you once you've uh, begun learning to talk to each other, talk to God. Uh, he is omnipresent. That means that's you know your big uh, big word for He's everywhere. He can hear us. Uh, he is here and uh, we don't have to shout loud. Uh, he can even hear what's in, his, what's in our hearts and we can pray silently. And so we can think of uh, Nehemiah. Um, it was in our elder meeting on Tuesday. Pastor Jeremy was uh, sharing a devotional from Nehemiah chapter 1 and he uh, uh, Nehemiah had been praying that uh, God would intervene on behalf of the of the people of Judah who uh, did not have any protection. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down and uh, he was a cupbearer to the king and one day he went in and the king said, why are you looking so sad? And, uh, and Nehemiah prayed. And it wasn't that Nehemiah fell down and said very loud oh Lord our God creator of the heaven and earth but uh, in his heart, he quickly said, Lord, help me have favor in the eyes of this man who has just asked me a question that if I answer it wrong, he's gonna chop my head off. So he came to the Lord in prayer. And so spend time uh, talking to God because he wants you to acknowledge that he can help you and he can help you. And so that's why prayer is so important To us as a body of followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the last thing I want to share is actually not something that the church did on the very first day of being the church. It's something that God did on the very first day of the church being the church. And that's in verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so on the very first day that the church became the church, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And for all these thousands of years since that day, the Lord has continued to add to the church daily those who are being saved. All around the world daily, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are coming, or we have people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, for the very first time every day. And it'd be a privilege for us as a church family to have some of those who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time join us so that we can share in fellowship with them. And so I mentioned earlier, it's possible that we have some here today, some listening on the live stream perhaps, who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's uh, uh, possible that uh, you grew up in a Christian family, and it's possible that you're a good person, and it's p- possible that you participate in religious activities. But those things are not enough. You need Jesus. He is your only hope. You were created to enjoy friendship with God. Your friendship with God has been broken because of the sins of the human race and your sins that you have ratified the sinfulness of the human race. And uh, the only way that you can be restored to fellowship with him is through Jesus. He is behind the deepest longings of your heart. You know, you think you want this and you think you want that and you think you want the other thing, And those things are just trying to cover up the symptoms of the great longing that you have for fellowship with God. And only Jesus can restore that longing. Only Jesus can save you. And with that in mind, I have a question for the congregation as a whole. And um, I ask this question with some hesitation because I know some people may find the question threatening, and that's not my intention, but I want to make it easy that if we have someone here today who does not have faith in Jesus Christ, that they can talk to someone if they want to know more about how to have faith in him. And so if you're here this morning, and if there's someone here who does not have faith in Jesus Christ, and you're willing to to show them how they can come to Jesus Christ in faith, then please raise your hand and hold it up. Okay. So, look around. If you are here this morning, keep your hand up if you're willing to do that. If you are here this morning and you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, look around and see if someone that has their hand raised is someone that you would feel comfortable talking to and ask them, to open God's word and show you how you can come to Jesus Christ in faith and become a child of God through faith in him. Thank you, you can put your hands down. And so, in conclusion then, I'd like to say that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, at the moment when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they become indwelt by the Holy Spirit who first came on the day of Pentecost and uh, that they then can celebrate the new life that they have in Jesus Christ in a number of ways. They can be baptized by believers, as believers by immersion. They can study the Bible alone and with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They can share their time and their resources together. They can eat together. They can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. They can pray alone and together And they can tell others how to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And those things the early church began to do on the very first day that God made them the church. And it's something that we can continue to do as the church today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here today and I pray for me and I pray that we would be involved in doing these things. That we would see the work of your Holy Spirit in the church the very first day the church began, became the church. And that these things would be reflected in our lives as well as, uh, as followers of you. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here or uh, or online or uh, anyone who somehow hears the sound of my voice that has not yet put their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray that they would be added to the church today through faith in him. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.